Well, Jesus, we are so grateful that you did come to this earth to abide here for a while. And you lived the perfect life that we could never live. Yes. And Jesus, you, as we're going to be studying the next few weeks, you died to pay the price for our sins. And then you rose again that we too may have eternal life in you. And now, Lord Jesus, you are seated at the right hand of our Father, praying for us and preparing a place for us. You are our hope. Give us hearts and minds and souls to really believe by faith that everything you said in the scriptures this week is absolutely real and help us to walk in it. We do pray this because it is so the will of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, and I'm not kidding when I say this and I'm not exaggerating. The absolute most intimate and precious words in all of Scripture is what you read this week. By far. And it's the point where everything changes for us. Um, and for Israel. And for the whole world. And for the kingdom of God. So it's really important that we, I want us to go ahead and take a look at the context of what we read this week. Because everything changes this week. And it's really important that we understand this because when Paul, as we're going to be reading forward in the New Testament, as we read in Acts, and as we're going to start reading in the letters to the churches, when Paul talks about being in Christ, which you're going to see a hundred bajillion, bajillion times, this is what he's talking about. This is absolutely, Jesus is teaching and sharing and praying about what Paul is going to be teaching us about in the rest of the New Testament. And it's about being in Christ. It's also huge that we understand because I think a lot of times, and I've been in this place, and Paul is going to teach about this also, the difference about living according to the law and the flesh versus living in the kingdom and the spirit. And it's a whole other way of living. Our tendency is to keep living like there's a law out there that saves us. But in Christ, things are changing now, and that's what he's beginning to describe. And it's no longer abide in the law, but abide in me. Abide in the Father. So it's gone from this legal contract that the nation of Israel had with God back to, which we originally had with Abraham, life lived by faith, but now we're kicking it up like a hundred million notches from that time because now the Holy Spirit is going to be in us so that we have the most intimate, loving, life-giving, joyful, peaceful relationship than we could ever ever imagine as a reality to us. It's different. Living according to the law is way different than having a relationship with God. And so you hear a lot of people talk about having a relationship with God. This is what Jesus is teaching and sharing with his disciples today. So that's what we're going to be talking about. 
But first of all, let me give you a little bit of how is this happening. So the history, and I'm not going to go really far back, but just even John 11. So in John 11, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Miracle of miracles, right? There's no more powerful miracle and no greater way to demonstrate the authority of the Father than that he has authority over death. Okay, so that's what Jesus was communicating about the Father. Don't you love how many times he says Father, 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 Father? And that's who we have as our Father. May we believe that with all of our hearts. So Jesus is bringing glory to the Father through Lazarus. But with Lazarus, something began to happen. And it's described in the chapters 12 and 13 that the Israelites then really began not only to seek to kill Jesus, but also they were seeking to kill Lazarus. So you're like, why would you ever kill a guy that just died and then got raised again? And so we begin to see really a hardness of the heart of those who were never really going to change. But we also see, which we talked about kind of over the break, that the Greeks, right? So what's the significance of the Greeks? Where is Israel? Like I'm looking at a... So Israel is like here, right? And Greece is over here. So Jesus has been doing his ministry. So now there are Greeks. And again, it's because of the Roman roads and things like that. But it's a, it's a place where the world has come through, which is what, why God always intended to put them in this location. Because people travel from this way and people travel from this way. And his plan was that as they engaged the people of God, that they would hear of who God was and they would draw near to him. So with the resurrection of Lazarus, now word is spreading. There's an excitement and this real sense of people sharing and turning or hardening their hearts. And at that point, when the Greeks come and they begin asking questions about Jesus. So now the Greeks basically represent the world. Which is why Jesus came. He came to save the world from their sins. So now when it's no longer just Israel, now when the world is beginning to say, who is this Jesus? Jesus uses this word, now. And if you look real quick in John, so just open up to John 12, 13. We are going to be through chapter 17. We are going to read some of this together. We're going to talk some of it together. So if you look at John 12, 27, it says, Now is my soul troubled. Why? Why is it troubled? He knows now that it is time to die and pay for the sins of the world. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But then he knows. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And then what is his heart? Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I, can you imagine a voice coming from heaven? I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Drop the mic. <laughs> wow. I mean, even as I read about this week, I had a sense of God's authority in that. I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it again. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who is the ruler of this world? And he says, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. 
And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So now is the shift. So before this, we've been, he's been talking about the promises, the fulfillment, the scriptures, the judgment, come awake, be awake, do you know, giving them parables, trying to help them understand. And now it's like, okay, now we're doing something different. I'm going, it's time for me to die for the sins of the world. So that's the shift that has happened with the now. And as we kept on reading, we see that, um, I'm going to jump around a little bit now, but in the story, this is also where Judas betrays him. And then after Judas has betrayed him, betrayed him now he's with his 11 believers. And a lot of what he's sharing now, he's sharing with them. So as before this, he's been talking to the world, he's been talking to the Gentiles, he's been talking to the Greeks, specifically really talking to the Jews and the, the nation of Israel. And now he's like, now this is what I'm doing. I'm coming to do something new. It's for the whole world. But first, I want to address those who love me and who believe me. And that's us. So there's a now, and he's doing something new. Did you notice that there's a commandment in there? And he demonstrated it when he washed their feet. But he says, a new commandment I give to you. To what? Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another so that... So that the world will know... Right, that I am from the Father and that you belong to me. Right, basically, so that the world will know that you are my disciples. Why is that different? And this is a little, I'm going to chase an itty-bitty trail because it's something that we have been talking about in women's Bible study a lot. And as we read these verses, I want you to kind of think about this. This whole idea of loving yourself. And it, you've heard me talk about it many times. But a lot of Christians use the verse, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so a lot of people go, for me to be able to love someone else, I need to learn how to love myself first. But what does Jesus do with that commandment? He says, no. A new commandment is, love one another as I have loved you. So there's a love, there's an agape love that Jesus has shown and is showing by washing their feet, literally taking the position of a servant and getting a towel and clearing out the dirt and the dust between their toes. I mean, it's a very boots on the ground, active kind of love. And then he's about to go and he's been speaking truth to them, but he's about to go and lay down his life for them. This is the kind of agape love. It's a very unselfish not self-considering kind of love. And this is a shift that is happening now, and it's a new commandment. It's something new. And this is what we live in. We don't need to love ourselves first. Why? We have been so deeply loved already. We just don't believe it. Why? That's a question for your heart. Or believe it. But, oh, Father, I even pray right now that we 
each woman here would truly believe the words that you're saying. How deeply Jesus has already loved us. And I think when he commands us to love one another as a new commandment, that's also how we are to experience love. And so often we don't experience love because we haven't learned how to love one another in healthy ways. We don't know how to deal with conflict. We don't know how to, and often because we have this idea of loving ourselves, that we don't know how to love in healthy ways. So we, we really do need to remove that idea of loving ourselves from our thought patterns and say, Lord Jesus, help me to know in the depths of my heart that you have loved me. Help me to know that. Help me to love that. Help me to live that. Help me to glorify you in believing that. And then God, would you help me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ because in that way, they will experience your love as well. There's been so much provision for love, but because we don't walk in those things, we feel like we are left with only loving ourselves. How lonely is that? It's a loneliness in the Christian life that God never intended. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Do you see the love in that? And then we're going to go on in John 15 and we're going to see, may they be just, Father, as much as you love me and I love you. May they know that love, like literally the love that the Holy Spirit wants to pour out into your heart is the love that the Father has for Jesus and that Jesus has for the Father. That's the love that's available to us. We don't have to love ourselves. God has loved us so deeply. Walk in that. Oh, the freedom of that. Oh, the rest of that. Oh, the joy and the peace of that. And then as we are loved by the Father, we are able to love others well. It's a new commandment. So there are new things happening. Also know that some of what Jesus is doing is, and so there's some more history in this, of when he's saying, I'm going, and even some of the things that he was instructing them about. Like in the beginning, he's like, um, when you see the hard stuff coming, like, take your cloak, or don't take your cloak, and don't do this. And now he's saying, basically, when you see this hard stuff coming, like, run. Right? So if we were just to read that and go, well, what does that mean to me? And we kind of skip the context of what is Jesus saying? What is he doing at that time? He was preparing his disciples for when he left, and then there was going to be extreme persecution, specifically upon them. And the temple is going to be destroyed in 70 A.D., so basically, Jesus is telling those disciples who were Jewish disciples, don't fight for the temple anymore, right? Don't fight for the land anymore, which many Jews are still doing to this day. But back in 70 AD, or when Jesus was about to die and the persecution was about to come, he said, that is no longer how God meets with man. You don't need to fight for that anymore. The way that God meets with man is how? Through Jesus himself. It's a relationship with a person. It's no longer that we just, oh God, could you give me peace? Jesus is our peace. Oh God, could you get, show me love? Jesus is our love. Oh God, could you give me a relationship with you? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he is saying to them. So you do not need to fight for the temple anymore. That old system is gone. The new 
has come, and it's all about abiding in me. So that's what he is saying to them. And he's also talking about something in the future. I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can come and be with me. Those are thoughts, and some of the other thoughts we're going to be talking about are for us. So beautiful. And he even, did you see that in John 17? He even specifically prays for us. It's incredible. So there's history, there's us now, and then there is the not yet. So that's a little bit of what he's addressing. So I'm going to move into some of the specifics of that, but before I do, and I don't want to get too caught up in questions, but is there any major question that I somehow did not explain that, did I leave a big gap, or would I say something that was confusing? Yeah. When Jesus said, now uh, the ruler of this world is cast out, we know him to still be here. I just, mm -hmm. what, what do you think? Yeah, he no longer has power because death is going to be taken from him. I mean, every tyrant, and especially Satan himself, because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy... <coughs> Death has always been the ultimate threat of every evil dictator. Death is about to be conquered. So that is no, and eternal life is about to be offered for all those who love him. So the enemy and his schemes have been ripped from him. He is no longer powerful. Which, do we walk in that? Do we walk in the peace and the joy and the victory of that? Or do we still say, I'm struggling with this as if he somehow still has power? Do we still fear death? Which, I mean, is something that... It's not, I don't look forward to. Sometimes I do. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be honest. There are times that I'm like, oh, Jesus, take me home. Like, there, you do. You have this sense of... And could you do it in, like, in my sleep? <laughs> right? So it's like there's that... <laughs> There's that like multiple thing that goes on, but at the same time, there should be this sense from the Holy Spirit that there is life. This world is not all there is. Death is no longer my enemy. Pain <laughs> can still be my enemy, but death has been conquered, and that has been the ultimate threat of the enemy. Good question. Yeah. So the prophecy is kind of told in Matthew then that's dealing with the the falling of the temple in 70 AD? Great question. Yes and no. Yes, in that most of it is. Most of it in Matthew when you're referring to the abomination of the desolation and referring back to Daniel 7 and a lot of them talking about um, one will be here and then the other will go. It's like, yeah, there is major destruction coming in to Jerusalem coming in 70 AD. Um, but there also will be, as we'll read about and when we get to Revelation, there is also a coming tribulation where the new world will be all that we know and the old will completely go away. So there's a now in that the old system has been destroyed. But there's also a not yet of it being completely done away with. We are still, we still have the world who, Satan is still the ruler of this world. Um, but his power is gone, especially over Christians. Um, but there is a not yet where he will be thrown into the abyss. So he is describing 70 AD, but he's also talking about, which 
we kind of talked a little bit when we were in the Old Testament when we were looking at the prophecies of if you look at a mountain range and you're looking at it, you can, it's almost like if somebody were to try and paint it, you would paint mountain upon mountain upon mountain. But if you were to take a drone over those mountains, you would see that here's a mountain, and then two miles later, here's a mountain, and then 10 miles later, there's another mountain range that you can just see, but if you were to try and paint it. So that's a lot of what the prophecies were like, and it, they, they're layered, and it's over time. So they're often with the prophecies, there's something that's happening like even some of the prophecies that Jesus is talking about, about the temple, when Daniel gave them, he was even talking about the Babylonian exile. But those have already been fulfilled. So some of the prophetic destruction in the world happened back in those days, happening now with Jesus, with the disciples and the destruction of the temple. But then, which is cool, right? Which is like evidence, proof. When... When prophecies are fulfilled, we have to go, then what they said is true. And that's a cool thing. That should help our faith. But there is still a not yet. Um, so what I want us to do <clears throat> is actually read through, um, well, before, real quick. So where he's at now, they're at the Passover. So talk about like prophecies and symbolism and all that kind of thing. They're at the Passover feast. What was the Passover? Back in Exodus. It didn't visit the homes of those who had blood over their doorpost. So as Jesus, I mean, doesn't that just like totally give you goosebumps when Jesus is saying, now is the time I'm going to go and I'm going to die when John the Baptist originally saw Jesus three years prior to this, what did he call him? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb was what was slaughtered so that the innocent blood could be put over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over that when they were being held captive in Egypt. So now Jesus is mirroring that. Those who believe have been held captive by the ruler of this world. But now I am, because of their sin, but now I am the lamb who is going to die. And my blood is going to be over them so that sin and death will no longer have power over them. Wow. Right? And the Passover meal, what did he give them? And we had it this past Sunday. <laughs> that was a clue. <laughs> what does the grape juice symbolize? We take it into us. That's that abide, letting the life of Christ abide in us. He literally said, do this in remembrance of me. Do you see the power of what he is doing? And it's historical, but it's actually quite intimate. But it's powerful. So the blood for the forgiveness of sins so that we don't have the consequence of death anymore. And his body's going to be broken for us. So it's cool that they're having this very intimate conversation at a Passover feast. Um, so at the end of 13, so now what we read this week was 14. So at the end of 13, he gives his command to love one another. 
And he's beginning with that command to basically say, and this is a word for us. If we don't, because we often think, how cool would that be to be with Jesus every night after a long day? How cool would that be to have walks with Jesus? How cool? Have you noticed, though, that the disciples in that period of time often still did not get Jesus? They still were not understanding, and they had him there with them. So Jesus is saying, I'm going away, and here is how you're going to cope without me. Isn't that a word for us? Don't we often wonder, how do I live this Christian life? What does it really mean to be a Christian? Is it some ethic? Is it some idea? Is it some inspiration? Or is this real life? Jesus in chapter, well, he starts at the very end by saying love one another because one of the ways we are going to cope until the very end is loving one another. And that's a very different view of church than just coming and letting church staff love you. We come to church to love one another. And outside of the church building during the week, we love one another. And by this will the world know that we are disciples, by the way we love one another. That's one of the biggest ways Jesus said that we are going to cope until he comes back, is by loving one another. And to be honest, as I read a lot of these verses, I thought, I need these women, I need your help. And it's not that I want you to do it to help me, but if I am going to, and Bob talked about this on Sunday, if I am going to obey some of these scriptures, I have to be a we with you. So me being the women's minister and just figuring out how are we going to have fellowship? How are we going to get in the word? How are we going to get time together? I need to organize this so the women can get together. I need to organize that so we can love on one another. It's like, that's not a we. That's a me. That's like it's my job. But that's not what these scriptures are describing. So for me to be obedient to these scriptures, I need to be a we with you. So what are your spiritual gifts? How has God called you to love? And let's walk together in those things. And as we walk together in those things, in daily life, then the world will know that we are his disciples. And we will experience more love ourselves. Instead of being alone in our homes, alone in our cars, feeling very unloved. So one of the biggest ways that we are to cope until Jesus comes back is to love one another. But let's read chapter 14 together. And I actually want you to, and you might have already done this this week, I want you to mark or highlight or write on a piece of paper because we're going to put these on the board. What are ways that Jesus provided for us that the Father, our Father, has provided for us to cope until he comes back? What is the Christian life, this intimate, precious place that Jesus is describing for us? First of all, he says, are you guys with me? Everybody got their Bible open and got a pen and a piece of paper? Okay, because in a minute I'm going to say, what are, what are the provisions? And we might unpack a few of them. Let not your hearts be troubled. How many of us live with troubled hearts? How, but do you see that that comes right after loving one another? So there's something in doing life together that our hearts can be less troubled. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe means to really trust, to really live, to really walk in that. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Okay, now when you read that, ladies, you could read that and go, oh, that makes me feel so much better. Or you can read that and go, wow, there's a place for me in heaven. I look forward to that. That gives me hope. That lifts my heart. Matter of fact, it has a physical effect on me. It lifts my head. Jesus is preparing a place for me in heaven, and it's real. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Oh, wow. That where I am, you may be also. From the very beginning, what is the word, even in the Old Testament, for those of you who have, we have walked through, what is the word that has described the heart of the Father? One word, four letters. Love. love and starts with a W. With. with. It's a with kind of love. It's not a here we are separate from you and God's going to just do little nice things for us to make us feel loved. He literally is going to be with us, loving us. With us. With you, loving you from the inside out. I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also, you may be with me. And you know the way to where I'm going. See here again, Thomas is like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> we have no how can we know the way? And Jesus said to them, and I love this, right? He doesn't say, well, keep all the commandments of the Old Testament and walk this way and live in Jerusalem and go to the temple every day. What does he say? I am, right, which is distinctly God. I am the way. Again, there's the relationship. There's the relationship, not steps, not rules. Not rituals, but a call of love. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do we believe that? Do we believe that he is our way to the Father? Do we believe that he is true? And I told you, I've looked up before, like, I'm like, okay, what is truth? What is the definition of truth? And the definition of truth is real. Real. Hashtag real life equals Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. As we read through the scriptures and then we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it'll be enough for us. <laughs> They're still not quite getting it, right? And we chuckle because we have the Holy Spirit. They didn't. That's why it's such a good thing Jesus is saying that he goes. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? 
Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Boy, that is intimate language. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. I've raised people from the dead and I've healed the blind. Do you see the authority of the Father? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. What is he saying there for us? What are the greater works? And we talked about this even last week. Bob shared some awesome verses in our vision for this new year. But one of them is Ephesians 2.10. You have been, you have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he planned before you were even born. These are not good works to be saved. These are good works because you are saved. And you are full of the love of the Father and full of the power of the Holy Spirit and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the love and the joy and the peace and the life of God. So greater works than these will we do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever, and there are several of these, okay, and just a little tip. This is one of the ways that we cope before Jesus comes back. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Did you see the word there, whatever? We're going to talk about that. I'm like, I read that and I thought, ooh, that needs a little teaching. We'll talk about that. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Prayer. Prayer. What is prayer to you? Did you read that and think, that's a whole other heart, soul, mind level of prayer? I hope so. If you love me, because this is what he's after, is us loving him, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. There's another way that he has given for us to cope. And the helper will be with you forever. There's the now and the not yet. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. You know him, ladies. If you love Jesus. And he is your Savior and your Lord. And you love the Father. You know the Spirit. You know him. I will not leave you. This is one of my favorite promises ever. And I prayed this for you guys. I prayed it on my knees with all of my heart. I will not leave you as orphans. I feel like a lot of times we live that way. We have brothers and sisters. That's the love one another. We are in the Father, and the Father is with us through Jesus and the Spirit. We are not orphans. We are loved, and we are part of a family and a kingdom. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. You are alive in Christ. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, so obedience is a way that we cope. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Wow. I want Jesus to manifest himself to me. All day, every day. Manifest yourself, Lord Jesus. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things have I spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Do you see the Trinity right there? Wow. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus is literally giving us his inner life. Do we believe that? Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Do we rejoice enough? Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. And I love this. He has no claim on me. Don't think Jesus dying on the cross was because of the enemy. Jesus dying on the cross was because of the Father's love for us. Right? He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. And then as they're walking, he's talking about being the vine and abiding in Christ. And as you look at that, abiding in Christ is another provision, right? I'm not going to go into that. I hope you guys really lingered in that. But part of some of it that I loved was, um, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These are provisions of Jesus for us as we wait for him to return. And then he goes on again in like verse 16. Um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's a huge part of John 15. There's a fruit of love of God. There's the fruit of the good works. There's the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the character of Jesus, the love and the joy. I've chosen you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. 
And then in verse 16, he talks again about the Holy Spirit. And then in the next part, he talks about joy and asking whatever we will again. And then I'm not going to get to verse 17 yet. But at the end of 16, it says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's a now. That's a now. So what are some things that we read in there that are provisions for us now as we wait for the return of Jesus? Do we live in the fullness of this? I, but that's what, we, that's what fellowship should be, is helping one another live in the fullness of this. This is why we come together, to remind one another of this and to be one of this for one another. Sometimes I need the Holy Spirit in you to speak to me. Sometimes I need the Holy Spirit in you to see me and to pray for me. Right? And you need that from me. Sometimes I need the word. And the bed was too hard to get out of that morning, so text the word to me if the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart. And don't feel bad. Don't wonder what she's going to think. We are sisters in Christ. We want to love one another and abide in this together. There should be such victory in our lives, such joy and peace. It's available to us. But I will tell you, there in it's one of the biggest questions that I have of God is why is sanctification so slow? <laughs> it seems like if we had all of this, then boom, I would be the most mature, the most loving, the most free person you could ever know. And I'm still growing a lot. But I don't want to dwell in the a lot. That's where we tend to dwell is in everything that's not on this board. That's where we tend to abide, <coughs> is everything that's not on this board. Right? What if we were to abide in everything that is on this board? Everything that was in the scriptures. And that was just one group of scriptures. I think it is. I think it is the most precious group of scriptures and words of Jesus. Because I, I remember up until like a week ago, I was like, I never realized before how little Jesus talks about the Christian life. <laughs> no, really, you, you guys with me, you know what I'm saying? Okay, James is like, yeah, I, I gotcha. Right, he talks, he used to talk in parables a lot. And it's like, come on, give me, give me something, like tell me what to do. All of a sudden we get in these chapters and it's like, boom, there's the Christian life. Boom, there it is. Now the question is, which is what Jesus leaves us with, do you believe it? And belief is a trust and a walk in it. We didn't mention sins forgiven. Removal of fear from death. Yeah, we have we'll get to that, Paul. But that is going to be huge. It's all a gift. Grace. It's all a gift. We can't do a thing to earn this. You know what our response to uh, this should be for us? Is to walk in it, but also, and Kyung and I have talked about this, thank you. Such gratitude. Thank 
specifically want to talk about is praying in Jesus' name. So I'm just going to kind of read. These are my, my jotted down notes. Praying in Jesus' name is not just adding in the name of Jesus to anything we might think of, however stupid, selfish, or hurtful. Right? So I really want a pony. <laughs> I really want a unicorn to walk through this room right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs> Jesus' name, name always reveals character. So knowing Jesus, knowing his heart, knowing his life, knowing his words, knowing his purposes, knowing his character, knowing his love, as we know him, and I mean like in this, in the most intimate manifested, revealed ways that he offers to us. Know him. One of the best ways we're going to know that is by reading the word. I hope even after reading some of this is like, oh, the word is where I meet with the father. The word is where I know Jesus and he knows me. Oh, so it's not a ritual to somehow get these things. It's because these things are mine and I want to walk in them. Totally different. I want to know Jesus. So praying in Jesus' name means that we, we know him. We find ourselves drawn into his life. That is the best way I can kind of describe it. If you're reading the scripture and, and you are honestly engaging it, somehow you are just drawn into it. You're drawn into his life and his love, and his sense of purpose. And so as you're drawn into his love and his life and his sense of purpose, you begin to see all the so that's. We abide so that the world may bring glory to the Father. We love one another so that the world will know we are his disciples. We abide in Christ so that. There's always the so that, and it always has to do with the world knowing and loving the Father and bringing glory to him. Another part of praying in Jesus' name is the confidence that we have in approaching God. Okay, has anybody ever tried to call a CEO or the DMV or <laughs> Social Security and to get access, you're either... Oh, if you want this, punch one. If you want the, okay, great. Now here are your options. Here's this menu. And then you push this number. And then you push that. Now here's a menu. And, and then it's like, zero, zero, zero. <laughs> Does anybody besides me do that? I just want direct access to a human being, right? Or you're trying to call a CEO and you call the company and you get the receptionist. And then the receptionist gets you to the secretary. And the secretary's like, well, you're just going to have to leave a message for the personal assistant, and then you finally get a hold of their personal assistant, and then you figure out, well, I'm not going to be able to talk to that person for a month. That's not how it is for you with God. Right this very second, you can talk to him. Right this very second, you can say, would you please help me know and understand your love for me? Would you please help me know and understand how I abide in you so that the world can know how wonderful you are, Father? I desire more than anything to bring you glory. I just don't know how to do it. Teach me. You could be saying that right this very minute with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and God could be answering that question right this very minute. We have direct access to God 
all the time. Exactly as we are. Exactly as we are. That's in Jesus' name is knowing that. Knowing that, that you're coming, the same access that Jesus has to the Father we have. I don't go to the Father because I am holy all in and of myself, but I have been given the holiness of Christ. And so now I can approach the Father with confidence and honesty. When we begin to know the purposes and the life and the character of Jesus, we'll then begin to see what needs to be done. What we should be aiming at when our sphere of possibilities and resources We'll sit there and go, gosh, look at all these lovely women. What could we do to reach the women of this community? And somebody will say, I have some resource in this area. I see some possibilities in this area. And together as we love one another, we will be able to do greater things as a we than even Jesus and his disciples could do. Kind of incredible. But that's one thing that praying in Jesus' name does is it allows us to see the possibilities of being in Christ and what he could accomplish in the we of us. But when we understand still all of this, there's still that marvelous word, anything, whatever. Ask anything in my name. Ask whatever it is in my name. So when we know the character and the love and the purposes of God, And we're asking him, with the resources that I have, I'm all yours, and I belong to this group of believers. Father, help us to glorify your name because we believe and love and live in the name of Jesus. That's way different than send a unicorn through this room, I ask in Jesus' name. Right? It's pretty powerful. One thing I was talking to my son, David, who, I don't know, the Lord has just given him some insight into these things, and he's still so maturing. He's just still 19. But we were reading through some of this together, and because he had just written a paper for one of his college classes on John 15, and he goes, I feel like one of the big things that if we really got it, this 19-year-old, very much still maturing and growing, and he would tell you the same thing. Glorifying God is everything. If we really got that that was what it was really all about, was bringing glory to God, what joy we would have, what excitement we would have. Understanding who God is and what he did for me in Jesus makes me want to say, God, it would be my honor to die for you and live for Christ. Glorifying God, it's the thing. So when we pray in Jesus' name, That's always the reason we're asking. It's always the reason we're asking because that was Jesus' greatest desire was to glorify the Father. So when we're praying in Jesus' name, we're praying that prayer, Father, glorify yourself through me. Glorify yourself in we. Glorify yourself in this world that so many may come to know you. And I love this, and I'm going to end with this. John 17 Verse 20, this is Jesus praying for you. I hope you can hear the voice of Jesus as you read this week and as you sat with him this week. 
Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, talking about the 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Right there in scripture, Jesus is praying for us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Wow. That's not just a mystical thing. That's a reality. Again, there's the so that. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Just as much as the Father loves the Son are we loved. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Do you believe that? God's love is in you. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit, the very character, life, purpose of Jesus is in you. It's so intimate. It is such a relationship. It is by the power of the Spirit, not by the flesh. We're going to be studying that in the rest of the New Testament letters. But Jesus has spoken these truths to his most precious 11 disciples, and the church is going to be birthed through 11 because of these realities. And there's way more than 11 in this room. And tonight, the women that are going to be coming, and all those who are studying this in our church, oh, this is available to us to walk in. May this be what we focus on. So even for our small groups, so as you go into your small groups, I would like for you to spend most of your time, leaders, I need your help with this. I need you to spend most of your time focusing on what's available to us in Christ. How do we live the Christian life? I was talking to somebody earlier. If we did all of this, whether we're at the supermarket, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, if this is what we focus on, this would fill up our day, wouldn't you think? This would fill up our minds. So focus on this. That is how you abide in Christ. You think on these things. So think on these things in your group. Encourage one another with these things in your group. Focus on these things. And then in the end, leave time to pray. But right before you pray, what is it that cause, causes you to fall away from these things? What 
gets your attention? What grabs your heart? What grabs your belief? What takes you away? And confess that to one another and pray for one another. That's what the Bible says that we're to do with one another with those things. But spend some time focusing on these things. And just a little encouragement from me personally. I don't even know how to say this. Please, if you want to grow in this and you need to have a conversation with somebody, come talk to me. Text me. Let's go for a walk. Let's sit and have coffee. Maybe there will be other people that want to join the conversation. But let's not just talk about these things now. Let this be how we dwell with one another. And in particular, I feel like this is how God has gifted me is to walk with people in these things. I'm not gifted at a lot of things. There are a lot of gifts that are out there that I don't have, and honestly, I've been trying to have, and I have decided I need to stop trying to do things that are not my gift and focus on things that are. And when I say gift, I'm not saying that in a prideful way. I'm saying just what God has put in me to love you. What has God put in you to love me? What has God put in you to love one another? What has God put in you to love your neighbors? But I am letting you know, walking with people in this is like better than chocolate lava cake. <laughs> I was talking with Megan this week. The best, this is the best way I can describe what it's like for me. I love old trucks. My grandpa and I, on Saturday afternoons, would take the mail, before there was email or any of that, right? It was just mail. But between counties, we would get in his old pickup truck and we would drive to a park that was a couple of hours away where another guy would meet us with his pickup truck and he would take the weekend mail back to his county. <coughs> there were always cherry wooden cough drops on the dashboard. You shifted the gear of the truck like this. But we would roll down the windows. I don't know even what we talked about, but I was with my grandpa. And the wind was blowing in this old pickup truck. And there were just open fields. It was a place of freedom. It was a place of love. It was a place of rest. That's a little bit of what I feel like when I'm with you in this. There's something very alive and at home for me in this. God just put that in me. You have something like that in you. I don't know if you would describe it as being in a pickup truck with Lydia's cough drops and a gear shift in a wide open country lane. But until I get to heaven, it is my joy to walk with people in this. And I, it means that I need to stop doing things that feel like I've got to build a skyscraper. It's like, oh, I don't know how to build a skyscraper. I mean, I will if that's what you want me to do, but like, I'm, I'm out of my element big time being in the city in the first place, right? So that's, but there's somebody here that's like, Lord Jesus, you would allow me to build something? You would allow me to organize and oversee something like that? Wow, Lord, right? For me, it's let's get in a pickup truck in a wide open field and talk about life in Christ. Love one another. So when you go to your group, that might be something else that you discuss. Father, I pray that you would give us hearts to fully believe what you have said, Lord Jesus. Amen.